to fabradiointernational.com or possibly or on the Starburst magazine family of podcasts. Regardless, you know where you are. You're listening to The Bookworm on fabradiointernational.com. I'm your host, Ed Fortune, and I'm here with... I'm Russ O'Brien. So, today on the show, I will be talking about Storm Constantine, there's a name from the past, and uh, her latest anthology, yes, her latest anthology, Splinters of Truth. And uh, what what do you have there? I've brought in The Meaning of Lift by John Lloyd and Douglas Adams. Um, It would have been Douglas Adams' 64th birthday, something like that? Quite recently, yes. Yes, there was a birthday early this couple weeks ago. So, but coming up next on the show, we are going to take a look at books that are coming out soon. You can always catch us on social media, by the by, we are Radio Bookworm on Twitter, on Facebook and on Tumblr. You can just basically, if you type in Radio Bookworm forward slash Radio Bookworm, you'll get us on Facebook. Uh, your best bet is to catch us on Twitter if you're on Twitter. Um, we get all sorts of random comments coming in. Feel free to wave and smile and say hello at any time. Um, and obviously, if you are on iTunes, um, comment, comment, subscribe and share. Comment as well, if, if I don't know what that is. Um, we are also... So isn't it a bunch of gaseous stars? flying through the air it is it's a big ball of dirty ice basically flying through space Um, I'm not sure what else it's got to do with social media but I'm sure someone will invent something that's to do with social media maybe comments will start tweeting we'll never know they do twinkle so um, anyway all of that complete nonsense Um, brings me on to um, the coming soon section Essentially, we're going to talk about books that are coming out. As you may be able to guess, myself and producer Al are probably on a motorway right now swearing. Um, <laughs> this would be a pre-record. We're off to the sci-fi <coughs> weekend, um, where there will be a host of lovely people there. Um, it's mostly the kind of Sam Stone, Talos, Talos Publishing side of things, um, but I understand there are a host of really cool authors, and we're going to see if we can grab Una McCormack, who writes a whole pile of Star Trek stuff, oh. and she's a. Uh, she also wrote um, some of the the uh, weird space stuff for Rebellion a little while ago, and we really liked it because um, she's got a really good and strong sci-fi voice, and she's always very interesting to talk to. So, any luck, we always get some good interviews from Sci-Fi Weekend as a general. But that's why we're there, and I've gone totally off the tangent. Coming soon. So, you might be asking me what exciting things are coming out um, very soon. Well, the 31st of May will give us Supernatural Italian novel Myth Maker by Tim Wagoner, um, who is a name that might be familiar to uh, anyone who's read, I believe he's done Star Wars, I think he's done Warhammer, I think he's done Star Tim Wagoner's done an absolute pile of stuff. He's, he's one of those people that, you know, you just go, oh, it's Tim Wagoner, it's probably going to be quite good. Um, this one, um, 
Talent Raw is living in a small Illinois town, loves drawing the pictures of the strange gods that come to her when she sleeps. That it's the world of supernatural that can only be flowers and fluffy bunnies. This can only end really, really badly. Yep. So the Winchesters turn up, Sam and Dean, and uh, obviously they, um, they, they they sort things out in a practical and sensible way that doesn't cause massive amounts of death. Because clearly that's you know that's not the show at all, is it? Um, so yes, uh, it sounds quite fun. It's it's basically someone accidentally summons a whole load of new slash old gods and cults start forming. Oh, it sounds badly. Suddenly Sam and Dean are in the middle of it, and you know you, you know how that ends badly. Um, are they are they kind of like the Jessica Fletcher of of the supernatural world? They really are. I mean, as a, as a fan of the TV show as well, it's not really that explored in the books. The, the thing with supernatural as a TV show is. The TV show is is fun, and then the books are the books. But there's mention of the books of of books of supernatural in the TV show, not in a kind of hey, here are some adventures we've already had, like in a big finished Doctor Who style. Okay. But the first five seasons have been novelised in world. Okay. Uh, because yeah. because they are a Cain and Abel analogue and um, essentially the next gospel of because it's a biblical show. Right. It's based on it's based on Christian. We're going to say Christian mythology, and if you find offence at that, then I'm sorry. Uh, it's based on Christian mythology. It's based on all the stories of angels and demons and stuff that that surrounds the Christian faith. Right. Um, and one of the things they've added in Supernatural is they've, they've invented the one mythos when it comes to demons. But they've basically uh, long story short, very long story short Sam and Dean are sort of like the next two prophets so like a, 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 like the next two signifiers in the, the Bible two major characters in the Bible in the new Bible so the next testament which has been which which has appeared as a series of pulp novels written by a hack author but but the intention is that this is supposed to in like you know 500 years time become the next te- you know the next the third edition of the Bible sort of thing, the next set of Bible stories. You can see how it's lasted 12 series. Yeah. It, it, it's it's a, that sort of, you know, it's that sort of kind of like, the, that's a really good idea. It's slightly blasphemous, but it's a really good idea. Uh, and, and anyway, what that means, of course, is that you get episodes where people are fans of the books because right now in the modern world, those books are just pulp, uh, pulp books that people really love. So they get to have this meta-fandom thing going on. Right. So okay. you get people who cosplay as Sam and Dean. <laughs> Okay. Even though they're real people who are doing real adventures, there's not you know there's not a TV show. But you get people in the real world who are cosplaying because, as far as I'm concerned, it's fiction. Lovely. <laughs> so so it gets it gets very odd. Anyway, that's that's a total tangent as to Tim Magan's book, which has nothing to do with that. But it kind of <laughs> gives you a rough idea of what we're draw, drawing on. Talking of tie-in fiction, there's that guy called Guy Healy. A very talented guy called Guy Healy, who I think I think really wants to. I really like his straight sci-fi, his non-tie-in stuff. I really, really like. Um, but he's written something for um, Black Library. Further then, uh, really, really Black Library. Yeah. Um, Games Workshops Publishing Arm. In case you hadn't worked it out, um, they are doing a mini series, as in a series of books that doesn't go on for fifty books. Uh, I think it's twelve for the, the for the Beast Arises. Um, we've talked about the Beast Arises before. Um, it's a very kitchen sink approach to the Warhammer Forty K universe. So you've got Space Marines, you've got Imperial Navy, you've got Imperial Guard. You've, I don't think we've had Sisters of Battle yet, but it's got to be coming soon, surely. Um, piles and piles and things, and essentially uh, the Beast Arises is about an orc army. 
me space orcs it's a space science fiction space opera setting but imagine Lord of the Rings but with spaceships and laser guns and bolters and uh, warg so space orcs in their space space orc fleet are heading towards the earth and so far they've been an unstoppable horde um, this one brings in the Eldar who are space elves about time um, and the Eldar as always in Warhammer 40k because it's about you know uh, isolationism and xenophobia is one of its major, major themes um, they're, they're being presented as oh well we don't really trust the Eldar because they have their own agenda well obviously they're a different alien race but you know it, it sounds from the blurb that they're going to kind of be the good guys slash bad guys slash you know neutral party who help everyone else out sort of thing slightly enigmatic slightly enigmatic bit strange mysterious foreigners who turn up who have superior technologies and lower numbers <laughs> that thing's not been covered before that should be new <laughs> exactly so um, yeah that sounds a lot of fun it's Guy Healy he's always good for a laugh um, he did he did Skarsnik uh, for the uh, Warhammer fantasy setting yes and that's amazing it's like a proper proper secret secrets of the evil goblin the king sort of thing and you just you could just see the, like you know sometimes you can picture the authors who's writing you can just see him going as he's writing it because Skarsnik's like evil with a capital E you know he's very skeletal and he's kind of starly um move on to the next one on the list because it sounds amazing yeah <laughs> um the next two on the list sound amazing okay so Arrow Oliver Queen's mm-hmm. dossier mm-hmm. obviously if you are the Arrow Oliver Queen from, from the t- hit TV sh- series uh, Arrow um you're gonna have a book full of like you know Bad guys. Mm. So this is his. This is his uh, secret dossier. This is on Titan. Um, it's so secret, it's available to buy in May. Yes, so secret, it's available. To, like the supernatural tie-in, um, the the hour TV series tie, uh, tie-in is available on Titan. Um, uh, oh, Oliver Queen's uh, Queen's just dossier, um, including how the various weapons work. So there's a whole load of like you know how a ball works, how his special US. Does he have a USB arrow? Is that is that Hawkeye? I think that's Hawkeye. Because I was I was really impressed with the USB arrow because he got, does have a lot of different arrows, and I'm fairly sure some of them may be on fire at some point. That that's true. I love the fact that the boxing glove arrow, which is a thing from the comics, is a real arrow. Yeah, I like that. It's weird, and I like it. You can you can actually buy boxing like a. Uh, uh, Concussion arrow, oh. like a person, like a like a, a blow to the. Where would I get one of those? Uh, LARP, LARPstore.com. Mm. Uh, they're called ADVs. Uh. They're specifically designed to um, deliver a noticeable impact at a low poundage. Um, please don't listen to the show. Decide to load your ball with an IDV, put two hundred and forty pounds on the ball, and then accidentally kill someone. Um, read the instructions when you're actually using archery, you, you idiot. <laughs> um, Myself and both myself and producer Al both both shoot when we when we get the chance. So we we know a bit about but Um Yes, anyway, uh, but now for us, so, you know, crime fighters. Yeah. Uh, so, our Oliver Queen's dossier uh, is full of bad guys, good guys, tells you all the dark secrets of Starling City. Sounds a lot of fun. I really like the next one. Oh, the next one sounds amazing! So, the Starfleet logbook for Star Trek. Right. We, should, we should test this on our on our junior reviewer. Yes, um, so, we have a variety of six and seven-year-olds we can, you know, <laughs> feed books to and do on occasion. Um, and whilst they're screaming, there's the Wookiee there, there's the Wookiee! And there's so on anyway uh, Starfleet Logbook Star Trek um, created by Jake Black is, is this a, it's a kids activity book so Starfleet Logbook is a kids activity book um, but in the, the, the kind of beam of Star Trek 
So it's a Star Trek logbook where you get to out logic puzzle Spock, basically. Uh, can your little one boldly place crayons where no crayons have been placed before? Do not give them that sort of freeway. <laughs> Video <laughs> player, DVR, um, microwave, toaster. Yeah, the answer to that is always going to be yes. yes. Um, but um, yeah, it's it's one of those ones. It's not, not so much a five year mission. It's not so much a five year mission as a five year old mission. Um, <laughs> but that it does sound a lot of adorable. Sound a lot of fun, um, especially you know. So basically, if you're the sort of parents that have a, a, a like a Star Trek diaper set or. Baby girl, baby girl. That's what I'm thinking. Baby girl, Star Trek baby girl. Then, then maybe you want to get them the logbook. It does sound fun. Definitely. If you want to, you know, tell them to look for the Wookiee, then yeah, you've got to keep them quiet for five minutes. <laughs> what with the Star Trek book? Yeah. <laughs> well, no, we 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 we've got where's the Wookiee, which is we talked about we've, on the show we've a little while. We've talked about that. Yeah. Um, and what we've discovered that if if you have a, a small Star Wars fan, and if you're small, you're probably going to be a Star Wars fan anyway because it's Star Wars and it's fun. Then you go find the Wookiee, and they they their brains jam as soon as they turn at the page, which is set on the the, the Wookiee homeworld. Excellent, because it's full of Wookies. Like, I don't know which one's the Wookiee. And they're all Wookiees. Where's the Wookiee? That one's an Ewok. There's Mama Fess. <laughs> sort of thing. But um, it keeps them... It doesn't get so much keep them quiet. It's keep them incredibly excited. Whereas it sounds like this, this logbook thing is going to be a good way of keeping them at least distracted for a short while. Um, Mongols uh, by Steve Graham Jones. Uh, out in Willy Morrow in uh, May. Um, is one of those genre books which is a horror genre literary mix. So he's um, essentially he he is a Mongol in the sense that he's um, it's it. I think we're meant to think that they're mixed race, but I think it actually turns out that there's something supernatural. So it's kind of the Adams family meets um, meets a more serious drama book that I can't think of right now about insulting every single serious drama book about racial integration I can think of because I've not read the book but you, you see what I'm saying it's kind of the Adams Family meets the real world sort of sort of a the Adams Family meets MTV's the real world from the sound of it um, so yeah a bunch of bunch of outsiders um, and a boy growing up so yes uh, Company Town Madeline Ashby we really like Madeline Ashby she wrote ID she wrote BN she does very um, pointed I think it's the best way to describe it. Very pointed kind of sci-fi. Um, she did a wonderful thing about uh, the, the point of ID in VN was it was all it was all AIs and the AI evolution, and essentially that we had human simulacra. The, the 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 setting for VN was a bunch of right-wing Christians had created android, um, essentially gynoids, like android pets for the human beings who were going to be left behind after the rapture. Right, but the rapture never happened, so we just ended up with all these these, these evolving robots. Um, and very quickly, another Trek book, Trekonomics, the economy. Yeah, this sounds interesting. Again, um, who pays? Well, it's a post-scarcity society, isn't it? So they've got infinite power, and then they turn in, literally in infinite energy. Or you know, the, the, I, I, I think you might know a bit more about than about this than I do, but they've got infinite energy. But the getting the energy around places is is a logistical issue, right? Um, I think because of the, the the warp cores and this sort of thing. The idea, from as I understand it, from the ships is that they sort of collect space dust as they go and they turn that into 
power, power plasma power, uh, matter anti matter reaction. So small amount of matter, massive amount of energy, go places. And they can turn energy into matter. Yes, the transporters, replicators. So they're essentially a post-scarcity society, but everything still has to be maintained and looked after. And they have so they it gets a bit complicated when it comes to coffee. Apparently, as I recall, the later series discussed. But so so fundamentally, there's still economics going on, even though it's a post-scarcity society. They don't want for anything. Yeah, they're, 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 you know they're not they're not five bad days away from an, an apocalypse, but maybe they're fifteen bad days away, or you know a year away from a bad from from from, from a collapse of civilization. So the, so there's still economics, and uh, the point of Trekonomics, the book, is Mani Rosadia, um has essentially she's a um, that they are a economist um, of some renown. They know what they're talking about, and they they. They describe our economic system and then they compare that to Trek's post-scarcity society and sit there and go, right, how would that actually work? Yeah. I actually really want to know how that works. If you have all the money in the world and a growing population, how do you make that work and still have a functioning society? How do you not descend into hedonism or apathy or collapse? Yeah, because Star Trek hasn't. It hasn't. They they do focus on a lot on the, the sort of top one percent of society, which decides to join Starfleet and make use of their lives by going to the stars. And occasionally they'll show other people who thought, "I just want to run a restaurant and really well for people." Or own a vineyard. Yes, um, really cultured things like that. But they don't go into a lot of depth of the mucky jobs or the or the ill side of society. And there is there there is crime. There's definitely crime. There's occasionally people who want to blow up rice certain places. Yeah. Yeah. So there's definitely crime and political dissidents. But yes, it would be fascinating, and we're looking forward to that comes out uh, on Piper Text, which is uh, again a book that uh, a new publishing house that's focusing on that sort of thing on the more kind of intellectual side of genre as well as more intellectual side of the world, um, and that comes out May the thirty first. Shall we move on? Let's move on. is Fab Radio International Starburst Magazine Starburst Magazine The world's longest running magazine of sci-fi horror and fantasy Get the latest news, features, interviews and reviews from your favourite genre Available from a newsagent near you So, back in the days where Castle Grayskull was a thing and He-Man wandered around fighting Skeletor I was a teenager Shocking. Um, and I was um, floppy-haired, moon-rimmed-glassed, glass, glassed, uh, and um, slightly bionic, even though I didn't really understand what that meant. I was a big fan of the literary genre that uh, has come to be called goth punk. Now, we could compare goth goth punk to steampunk and how there is now a steampunk trend rather than a goth punk trend and how these are literary trends and not fashion trends and how if you're going to call people who, who dress in brown and wear cogs uh, go, uh, cog fops then you might as well call the people who dress in black leather and wear bats bat fops but that's not <coughs> back in the 80s there was a whole thing about um, the, the darker, darker sort of genre and Starting out uh, genre authors grab genres as a way of getting an audience. Okay. And then they evolve. Okay. So Neil Gaiman, back in the 90s, mm-hmm. was goth. Okay? Okay. Uh, 
without a hesitant, without a shadow of a doubt, the Sandman had pretty much Bob Smith on the front. The Sandman looks an awful lot like Bob Smith. Yeah, there, there, there's an entire podcast here to be made, isn't there? Out, yeah. out of the progression of Gaiman's career. Um, you know, the sort of thing he's written. Um, it's Kim, very different what he's producing now from what he was producing back then. Kim Newman the same wrote a lot about vampires, and we also had people like um, Nancy Collins and Poppy Z. Bright, um, who also wrote these kind of dark and romantic, sensual, sensual um, dark stories. And the queen, the queen of this genre, uh, was Storm Constantine. Mm-hmm. And she had big 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 black hair she looked a bit like Pam from Sisters of Mercy um, and she also wrote these gloriously dark gothic fairy tales um, one of the things she's well, well known for Storm is well known for the, is the and I'll get the pronunciation wrong because I always do uh, the Rear 2 series um, which is about post-apocalyptic world where most of mankind has died and has been replaced by a race of androgynous dark haired gay goth men it's a short version. They've got psychic powers and weird weird genitalia and slightly different physiology and no one's really sure how they've come about. But there's a whole thing and it's got its own following and that's what she's really well known for. And she... I've not seen anything new from Storm Constantine for a while. Um, she she hit her popularity and as goth punk faded, she faded. And she went on to do other things, obviously. Um, she's back with New Con Press. Uh, New Con Press being essentially a speciality fan, small, medium press. Um, it's the same sort of realms as Fox Spirit, but whereas Fox Spirit is all about debut authors, um, New Con Press is about not only debut authors, but established authors that you may not have heard from in a while. So they've also got a book uh, by Ian Watson that's out. Right, okay. Um, who uh, some of the listeners will know for, for creating Space Marine. Um, so, Splinters of Truth is an anthology uh, by Storm, uh, Storm Constantine. It's got 15 fabulous stories, all previously uncollected, and four of them are original to the volume. And I've got to say, this is a big dollop of goth in one reading. <laughs> oh my goodness. This, this, there are some cracking, cracking stories. Um, the one the one I really liked at the start um, was Return to Gehenna, which is it very starts off with the story of someone who's doing a really rubbish nine to five job where the only other person they work for is just has just given up completely given up but it's you know it's like oh the bosses know what they're doing sort of thing that kind of you know a little old lady style doesn't you know has, has given up on any possible dreams they had and then there's this lady in her in her you know, heading towards her, her 40s sort of thing, who thinks that there must be more to life than this. And then she finds a £50 note on the floor, walking around, she looks up, and then there's, there's this big bar, and there's this, this big drink that says, drink me. Well, what do you do when you found some fairy gold and then you've wandered off the path? What do you do? It, it, it's essentially, it's a retelling of that kind of... Alice style story but with that kind of goth fantasy feel to it and it kicks off this collection superbly because this drips in bats and anks on every page it's you know you put on the cure album put on disintegration and then then put on the mission then put on the sisters of mercy best hits and read um and you will be in the right sort of place um so we've got weird little fairy tales stories about earth mysteries we've got we've got one where we've got this one tale where it's just very it's very odd where um 
there's a guy it's essentially it's a rant about a guy who is an awful boyfriend and is someone's husband mm-hmm. who's a bit of a psychic vampire and it's kind of uh, like a kind of a witchy tale of magic done right sort of thing and it could almost be a tale that I would have heard in a smoky bar in the 90s whilst you know trying to impress some girl who was claiming to be a witch it's that sort of that, that weird mix of, of of new age and gothic romance and pretentious sensuality and this sort of thing all of these little bits and pieces and <coughs> Personally, I, I really loved it because partially it reminded me of being in my twenties, partially because she just she writes in a place that feels real, but also a really surreal and weird place. Um, some of the, some of the stories are very funny, some of the stories are very f- f- uh, very clever. She writes a little intro to each of them as well to tell you where they are. Um, Colin's cough is the story about someone who's repulsive and creepy and has problems, um, and you know just sits and watches Top Gear. Uh, Kiss Booty's night night is the tale of a fetish club gone interestingly strange um, and and so on we also get these little kind of just these little little drabbles and little bursts of poetry and little bits of creative ideas um, there is a Rear 2 story in there it doesn't really go anywhere but neither does the Rear 2 series of entirely honest um, if you're familiar with Storm's work and you like Storm's work you'll love this it's, it's a big treasure trove of ideas and stuff that she does if you're new if you're new to the entire concept of golf prepare for a slight culture bump um some of the stories end abruptly but they're short stories and you should expect that um some of them feel like they could be bigger and longer projects that just never went there but that's you know that's the the danger of anthology and that's the danger of a short story collection of this nature did I like it? Yes, I did. Um, it's a big, delicious golf drop, but it's a very, very dark, inky golf drop. This is, you know, this is deep golf. This is a short version. This is proper golf punk from back in the day, which has been updated for for the 2016. Um, she's added some new material. She's added some commentary. Um, it's dark and it's, you know, it's dark and it's delicious. Um, but be aware that this is of a time and of an age as well so if you if if you go in expecting Anne Rice you probably you're in the right territory but you, you know you need to go down to the basement um, if you go in expecting Neil Gaiman early Neil Gaiman maybe it's a different sort of thing a different sort of style a different sort of focus um, her writing is very specifically strong in you know in the genre in the community that she's part of it's a great reflection of that community um, she uh, isn't the the amazing talent that people who from that movement became but she is part of that movement if you see what I mean so it's an interesting piece of from a from a kind of historian point of view if you want to know where some of this amazing stuff came from later then you know she's one of those people that you know inspired and moved on but um yeah um so that's um Storm. So, 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 where can we get it from it's, 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 Splinters of Truth Stone you can get it um on the Newcom Press um and yeah you can get that online or you can get it from all extremely naughty bookshops oh the world 24 
Original. So, I was in London a little while ago, and I got to talk to the lovely P.S. Brown, um, who will be talking who, talking about his Red Rising series. Uh, I went all the way up to the Hachette building, by the way, which is amazing. I was absolutely, I was absolutely staggered, because it's essentially, it's, it's, it's like someone has built a palace and de- dedicated it to books, because it's the Hachette building. And um, no, I didn't deliver any, a, a, any roses from Amazon. I think that romance has passed. Um, but you know, it was one of those things because I realised I didn't actually pick up any. Who's uh, really nice to talk to? B.S. Brown is a lovely chat, a lovely chat, a lovely chap as well. Uh, very engaging, and um, yeah, I, I didn't actually realise I hadn't picked up any books from Hachette until I was literally pulling out of Paddington. Watch the fur. <sighs> anyway, here's the interview with P.S. Brown. This is Fab Radio International. International. Okay, so Pierce Brown, welcome to the booth. Oh, thanks for having me. So, uh, tell us about your latest book. Uh, so, my latest book, Morningstar, is the last book in the Red Rising trilogy. Red Rising trilogy is about a young man named Darrow who is rebelling against an oppressive regime in space. And he is waging a war for love, not for revenge, but to right, to right this wrong that had happened to him when he was 16. And the book starts, you know, Red Rising starts when he's 16, and then Morningstar is when he's 23. So we've seen a boy become a man through the course of this. And this is set in a society that is very Romanesque. It's like, imagine Romans have colonized 700, 700 years in the future, have colonized the planets and moons of the solar system, and have created a rigid class hierarchy. This is about someone who's at the bottom of the civilization, infiltrating the uh, top of the civilization in order to bring it down from the inside. And book three is really the uh, sum of all the storylines coming together, and it's the actual rebellion. So that's <laughs> so. Why ancient Rome as your inspiration? I th- several reasons. One, I read ancient. I mean, I read all about Rome when I was a kid. Um, and one of my first coloring books was actually of the Trojan War. So I've always been in- influenced by antiquity. Now I thought the shields were purple <laughs> when I was about seven years old, but my parents were pretty good about steering me towards um, the he- humanism in general. So Western, the, the origins of Western thought, and I was in love with the Iliad and the Odyssey. Uh, as stories when I was young because I had these great, great uh, set of books. There's about 80 books called The Great Classics Abridged. And so they had all the classics in Western civilization, or many of them, and they were written for nine-year-olds. And so I was able to read them. In as brief as possible, mm-hmm. how would you um, sell the Red Rising series to my elderly grandmother? <laughs> I would say that it is The Count of Monte Cristo meets... A Dune or a Star Wars, and so you have the politics. Uh, you have politics. You have adventure. You have love, romance, but you also have, you know, these these the idea of a, a man having to impersonate someone else in order to uh, bring down something that is corrupt, which is this government. Red Rising is a massive hit. Why do you think the fans have responded so well, and what are the fans telling you about your your, your books? I think they've responded because when you're creating a story, you're trying to create a feeling, a tone, this lifeblood that you know kind of flows. This is what happened with Harry Potter, with Lord of the Rings, with this almost like zeitgeist that exists independent of the book and independent of me. And I think that people have kind of captured on this. I've given them a home away from their own home, and the characters who are almost like friends to them. And so with Darrow, Severo, Mustang, these are characters that people want to just see exist. What is your 
why, why science fiction? Why did you take the science fiction approach for the story? Because well, it's, yeah. it's the sort of story that could fit almost anywhere, shouldn't it? Yeah, it could. I mean, it's, it's a story that's been told before in a lot of different ways, but the telling is always going to be different, depending on what time you were in. I think science fiction, because it's, I'm so influenced by sci-fi, Star Wars, Dune, um, Hyperion series by Dan Simmons, these wonderful, wonderful books were my childhood. And so this always felt like the thing I was meant to write, this grand space opera. But science fiction also gives us the ability to talk about things in our own society without stepping on political toes. And so I can talk about injustices, but not preach about it. Because if you talk about things now, you're almost always preaching. You know, if you talk about the political climate in the United States or Britain or wherever, this is my way of commenting on something without necessarily taking a political stance and urging someone to vote for a particular candidate. Skirting around politics slightly, why are we we staring at the stars now? Why is sci-fi so big again? Mm -hmm. Because we've definitely returned to a point where we're talking about space travel, we're talking about science fiction. You know, it's no longer a a secret to be Mm -hmm. a fan of Star Wars. Why has that happened? The explosion of technology, I think, is greatly responsible um, because it's been easier to make films set in space, easier to make films that are comic book or sci-fi related because of the special effects you can have, but also because, I think, of the dissemination of pop culture. You know, comic books are so much are easy to access. Books are easier to access than they have ever been before. And so I think that these are stories that excite people, particularly with, you know, the rover on Mars, with, you know, Martian became so popular uh, at that time, captured the zeitgeist, because we're looking forward. And I think... Mankind is always looking forward, but we take we we relapse for little periods of time. You know, we took about thirty years, twenty years off before realizing that we are explorers, and it's in our nature to. If it's there, we want to climb it. If it's there, we want to go to it. And I think sci-fi appeals to the better aspirations of man, and sometimes the greedier ones. What's the next? What's your next big project? Next big project. So I have several things I'm working on for TV and film. Hopefully, the film Red Rising. Um, so I've done the first two drafts for Universal. Mark Forster of World War Z is directing. And then I'm doing three more books in the Red Rising world. These are set ten years after the events of the last book, Morningstar, which is out now. And they have some of the same characters in different perspectives. But I want to expand the world and you know let people live in that home a little while longer. What obviously your your influence is limited as just the writer when it comes to the production of a movie. Mm-hmm. But what are the things that you want to see out of the movie? What are the in your head when you when you were writing the book? What besides badass space battles? Exactly. <laughs> well, badass space battles, um, and then I think the most important thing is capturing the feeling. I mean, the best adaptations of, in my mind are Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, in terms of sci-fi and fantasy, and they're such good adaptations. Not because they follow the exact plot, but because they capture the, the spirit. You know, with Middle Earth, it's the dying of magic, elves leaving Middle Earth, and then who inherits it? And it's about hope coming from the most unexpected source, the Hobbit. You know. Um, or hobbits, and then Harry Potter—it's that sense of home and mad, like in the comfort of friends, and they captured that, and you felt it alive on screen. For Red Rising, it would be capturing the the camaraderie in the face of overwhelming odds, and so almost like a Lawrence of Arabia in space. That's what Mark Forster wants to make, and it's what I want to see. If you had the chance to play in someone else's creative sandpit, which sandpit would you choose? Ooh, Star Wars. Any any time. Um, mostly because I so desperately want to write a, a, a dark Jedi or the fall of a Jedi. It'd be so fun. 
if you could bring back um, a series that we don't have with us anymore, mm-hmm. what would that be? <laughs> Books, TV. I mean, I think Sequest is a massively underappreciated show that never, it doesn't even have the cult following it should have. Um, maybe for a reason. I would love to bring back Xena. Xena would be amazingly fun to, to write. It'd be amazingly fun to, 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 to develop, uh, to shoot. You know, it'd be having set in uh, New Zealand again would be awesome. If you bumped into a 16-year-old version of yourself <laughs> and you had just enough time to say one significant thing, apart from, you know, the, the obvious issue, mm-hmm. what would it be? Don't eat the nachos. <laughs> um, we are heading towards the slightly sillier questions. So could probably I'm, I'm fine with that. <laughs> Thank you for forewarning me, though. If you were heading towards... If you were stranded on a desert island, mm-hmm. alternatively, there's, there's two ways... What would I bring with me? Jessica Alba. Ah. Of course. There's two, there's two ways we can ask this question. Okay. I'm going to ask them both at the same time. All right. Either a Desert Island book, mm-hmm. or one book that you can lock away and it'll survive until the sun goes out. Mm-hmm. It will always be with, with until the universe dies. Mm-hmm. What work would that be? It would be Lord of the Rings. No doubt about it, because it's another world that I can always access. It's one where I've... It's, I think it's one of the most majestic pieces of literature ever written. Not just from a fun story standpoint, but it has all the archetypes I like. It has all the friends, which were, which were my friends when I was you know nine years old, listening to the audiobooks with my dad. It has all the art that I loved when I was a kid, all the different versions. And it's something that I can always go back and read, and read in a different way. Um... Some some very silly short questions. <laughs> Rapid fire. Firstly, if you, Simpsons or Futurama? Futurama. Buffy or Firefly? Buffy. Odd, I know, from a space guy. Um, rockets or ray guns? Mm, rockets with ray guns. <laughs> but ray guns. Mars or Venus? Mars. Uh, and finally, truth or beauty? Truth. Pierce Brown, thank you very much for your time. Oh, thank you for having me. Um, and this is Fab Radio International. Hello, sir. So, Ross, you have a, you have a book there? I do. Ed, have you woked recently? I, I don't know. Have I woked? You may have done. This is The Meaning of Life. It's a sort of novelty item. You'll find it in the, in the comedy section of a bookstore. It's by Douglas Adams and John, John Lloyd. Uh, Douglas Adams needs no introduction. John Lloyd went on to produce, well, Blackadder, a QI, other TV shows. The concept of the book is fairly straightforward. They've decided that there are lots and lots of concepts in the uh, human experience which, don't, which we don't have a word for. And there are lots and lots of words just hanging around on place names, on, on, on signposts, not meaning an awful lot except you know, where you happen to live. So they decided to marry the two together, uh, and Woking is defined in this book as standing in the kitchen wondering what you came in here for. No. That works, actually. I've been, I've been walking. Yeah, I've walked. Yes. Um, so there is an entire book of these. This is the 30th anniversary edition I've got in front of me because they've been compiling it for a long time, despite the fact that one of the contributors is no longer contributing. Um, I, I'd be very impressed if he was, in fairness, because it would mean that there's an internet connection in the afterlife. Yeah. If anyone can manage that, it would be Douglas, Douglas Adams. Adams yeah. There is a, there is an ongoing battle in the in the prefaces. The two authors continue to you know, suggest have a conversation about where they should next meet for lunch. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, the, the book, it's a sort of... If you've ever watched The West Wing and thought, this is the kind of party Judd Bartlett goes to and tells you that the strawberry is the only fruit with, with its seeds on the out, outside, this is the kind of book for that kind of thing. It's full of 
wouldn't it be great for the word for this? Yeah, and you realise, okay, that word possibly should be used more. Possibly, you, you know, you struggle to you know, come up with a sentence to fit it into. But uh, the Motspa is the fourth wheel on a shopping trolley, which doesn't go the same direction as the other three. No. Uh, distressingly, the Albuquerque is not the place where you should have turned left. Oh. That's not in this book. That's that's my only criticism of the book. Um, the Albuquerque is. Oh, sorry, I'll flick to it. The Albuquerque is the shapeless squiggle, which is utterly unlike your normal signature, but which is, nevertheless, all you were able to produce when asked formally to identify yourself. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny how that works. Uh, You know what? I have a work signature. So when I'm signing letters and checks and things at work, my signature on Monday will be very different to my signature on Friday. So, but, so, like, Monday, it'll be something that actually approximates my actual signature. By the time it gets to Friday, it's just any vague scroll that might suffice. You see, I have a specific work signature, and I have a specific signing check signature, and I have a specific... The rare occasions that I've had to sign books, I have a very different one to that as well, because, obviously, if you're signing a book for someone, it, it shouldn't be the one that you use to sign checks. Come on. Um, no, <laughs> no, absolutely. Fraud and all that nonsense. But anyway... No, so it is that kind of book. It's, I mean, it's it's a dictionary of words you've never heard of. Well, words you've heard of on place signs everywhere, but and there is usually a convenient map in the front of the book as well, to in case you weren't clear on where exactly this word came from. It's they could do with possibly a reverse edition, if you like, of that thing you wish there was a word for. This is the word for it. Except exactly how would you refer to that? How do you uh, index such a book? Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. If it's always. You do it for source style, don't you? Kind of do a. Well, the book here is a book of similar meaning. Yeah. Uh, I say that there is an index. <laughs> Never mind. Um, is there is there wet wang on there? Is there wet wang? Oh, I've got a friend who lives in wet wang. Let's find it. Did they sell sex toys? <laughs> no. Is it appropriate to say this definition on the internet? Uh, <laughs> um. <laughs> That's it's, a no. It's exactly what you thought it would mean. Yeah. <laughs> I've just I've just seen Waplord uh, Waplord draw, draw which is apparently a homicidal golf stroke. <laughs> but um yes, I, it's one of those books that you just sit and chuckle at really. Yes, with friends. It's very sociable this book. It does occur to me, I wonder whether like half of these things do actually have words in German. Because you know like the Germans have very long words but for like an entire phrase. But they have like a paragraph that explains what it is. Mm. So it'll be like, you know it'll be like, you know, their their version of Spirit Escalier is that moment you feel when you're walking down the stairs and you feel like you should go back up and say something. But the Germans that, will have will a specific the, word for that. But they will, but, but it will literally translate as that. Yes. It'll be like a sentence. Yes. That's not a special word. That's a sentence that they've just removed all the hyphens and spaces from. That was in most language. Well, the sp- that specific one is uh, Le Spirit L'Escalier, which yeah. is the spirit of the escalator. Yeah. I think, you know, That's the feeling of going <laughs> upstairs. Uh, yeah, exactly. That, that, that's but but the German version would be a full description including the type of stairs. Okay, so that's, okay. that's what Germans like. <laughs> he said slightly. Yeah, my German's terrible, so I'll move on. I get shouted at by Germans, I'm sure. Okay, well, well, a German. Well, there you go. You just heard two people who didn't know what the book was before immediately chuckling at what it was about. So, so what is the meaning of lift? <laughs> that's a very very good point, and let's flick to that one. But yeah, I, I've always been... It's Douglas Adams, and his wit is both dry and also teespring hilarious. And it's, it's very British, isn't it? You won't be surprised. The lift is a common object or experience for which no word yet exists. Uh, uh, oh, no, hang on, there was actually a word for that. 
there is actually a real world uh, like a not not the meaning of lift there is a word for that I can't remember what it is but it's of that it's of that kind of because you've got palindrome Yes. Yeah, and um, you know what a palindrome is. Do, do, do you want to? Do you want to? Um, do, do you do you want to care to guess what an, an immortal app is? Immortal app. An immortal app. It's a word which, when you spell it backwards, produces a different word. Yes. Stressed and desserts, as example. Oh, very quick there, Mister O'Brien. But but obviously it's palindrome backwards. Yeah, yeah. Nice. I like it. But um, I love the fact that because I think the English language is one of those few languages that not only do we mug other languages for words mercilessly, mercilessly, but we also do the thing where we just insert Easter eggs and we consciously insert Easter eggs into the language. Shall we go on to the next bit of the show and just talk about language some more? Uh, if you want. So so we'll do a jingle and this sort of nonsense. But um, so how you could perhaps do that when I wasn't, you know gathering into a strepsil. Uh, so where's the book from and um, who's it by and how can we get our hands on it? Okay, well the book is The Meaning of Lift. It's by Douglas Adams and John Lloyd. It's uh, available in the comedy section of any bookstore or at least that's where it was when I last looked for it. <laughs> and and we're doing well at this bit. Uh, it's by Pan McMillan. Yeah. Uh, I, I see the familiar squiggle of Pan McMillan on the side there. But um, I, someone actually explained to me what all the Heldries were. We should do a show about the Heldries of publishers at some point. Yes. It's kind of interesting. Not, that's not that, this show. So, just quickly looking at the Storm Constantine book, and I'm looking at where um, all these other stories originally appeared in, mm-hmm. and it's 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 like a it's it, it's like a most wanted list of um of, of kind of that kind of golf horror collection. So we've got stuff like you know originally appeared in a White Wolf collection. Hooray, White Wolf books! Uh, my understanding from having a very quick look on her website um, is that she's formed her own publishing company to basically take back her publishing rights. Yeah. To get because uh, some of her stuff had gone out of print, and she was like, "No, I want this out there." Yeah. So that's kind of what. Um, but this, you know, she's done stuff for Alchemy Press. She's done stuff for White Wolf. She's done stuff for Beckon Press. Yeah, totally. Uh, Manian Press. Oh my goodness, takes me back. The Mammoth Book of Vampire Stories by oh, Women. That sounds like my first vampire story book. And guess who edited it? Edited it? Steve Jones. Of course, Steve Jones. Steve Jones has done every horror anthology you have ever read. Okay, you see, I've not read any horror anthologies because that is not safe for producer else. That that is true. One of these is apparently from a Novacon booklet, which we've still never been to a Novacon. Anyway, we're going to talk about books and languages, uh, and, and, languages and words. So yes, a model app is a, a, the word the wrong way around, and and just English is just full of these weird little. It's a very, very English thing as well, though. I think to sit down and try and analyse words like that. Bear in mind, like the absolute craziness of the English language. Absolute um, craziness. It's, it's, I mean, I, I mean, we've we've. This, we've talked about this before where it's like you know if, if you can swim and you can swam <laughs> then dive and dave yeah 
Yes, why is the plural of house not heises? Exactly. I do feel very, very sorry for anybody who isn't first language English who's trying to learn English as a second or subsequent language because it must just be nightmarish. You see, my mother, of course, yes, spoke 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 you know, um, and then moved to moved to South Shields, which is the northeast. So she had to learn not only English, which is one of the hardest languages to understand, but Geordie. Mm. Mm. Uh, my father called her a canny hinny <laughs> the first time they met, and she hadn't a clue. It wasn't in any phrase, but no. she didn't know what on earth that meant. <laughs> and there's there's always that thing that you get with um, I'm going to rant slightly about Jordy. Hinny is not hinny is not honey. Lots of lots of lazy people will be like, oh, it's honey. It's not honey. Hinny is a different word entirely. Um, it means sweetheart, but it doesn't mean honey. If it, goodness to say just because two words sound the same doesn't mean they have the same origins or group one is corruption or another yeah but um, you get a thing called singing singing hinnies which are round and <coughs> round and flat um and that sort of you know the round and flat kind of sweetbreads and really nice singing hinnies actually Ooh, i could go over singing hinnies right now we've gone off on a tangent someone yeah, please no. stop me language uh, language, very interesting thing. I was, I, I'm on an online writers forum thing, um, and we were talking earlier to speak about the fact that um, the Welsh, when uh, Welsh uh, battalion nervous, um, especially in sort of in Afghanistan and areas like that, talk to each other in Welsh, with the idea that that you know the, the chances that the enemy combatants will be able to understand them are very low, and they discovered in Afghanistan certainly in very certain regions that in fact the locals could understand Welsh yes apparently it's it's similar to I think it's Hindi or there's a there's a very specific there's essentially um, an Afghanistan version of Welsh Mm. as in as in it was a small town small town dialect Mm -hmm. a small town language that was unique to the area and they were like why are they speaking in this small town language and it's like it's almost like a parallel evolution thing and no one has a clue why or how Um, but it's interesting that we have Welsh as this addition um, to 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 English because it's it's influenced. I mean, there's that classic. The, no, there is that classic joke where it's like, oh well, name me one one word in in English that that that, that the you know, that, that the Welsh invented. Hello, and you know it starts there. We forget how heavily influenced we are by our neighbours in our language even though it's really obvious if you speak any other language and certainly English has nicked a lot of stuff from um, the Indian subcontinent hasn't it Jodhpurs and Snooker being the two (coughs) things that most obviously occur to me Uh, Gazebo Ah, you must face it alone. But we also, I mean, I mean, we also make up random words. And the thing I was, the angle I was going with, with Alan Moore, Alan Moore, who I've, I've said in the past is terrible at making up words and shouldn't be allowed to make up words because he's rubbish at it. But one of the things he 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 did quite well in the Ballad of Taylor Jones is hoop party. It's a real hoop party. What is a hoop party? Right, there's a guy called Hoop who throws these massive parties. Okay, and it means in in the upper classes a hoop party is a really good thing it's like a really it's an extravagance now hang on a minute um, aren't, aren't people hippie food to know their tells are yeah which is Douglas Adams mm-hmm. and it's again it's that same sort of common kind of space word idea thing hippie food I, they both stole the idea from jazz apparently um, but a hoop party in if you're upper class means a good thing if you're lower class it means an impossible or potentially dangerous thing or weirdly I've seen on Urban Dictionary recently Trump party 
a dangerous room full of fanatics. Words are going to keep spreading. Uh, exactly. Yeah, well, language keeps on evolving, <coughs> isn't it? Language, language alters and changes its context. Um, it does. I've, I've still little bits of this. I mean, I know we have exports. I mean, for example, the, the Russian word for university is pretty much university. They've, you know, they've, we've actually exported words in some of these contexts, possibly because you know, English is that predominant. Um, I've also been in rooms where I've... I've been discussing uh, programming code with an Italian who said, "Yeah, and what happens when this guy does this?" And I'm thinking, "Why does? Why? When did this programming object become a male concept in the Italian language?" Uh, which obviously you know, we don't have in English. Gender is a weird language. It, no, we, the thing is, we do have gender. It's just not relevant to the language. It's yeah. a cultural thing. It's well, it's inherent. Well, blonde and brunette are the only pretty much the only two words I can think of where there is a male and feminine form in English but other than that this is one of the reasons why English isn't difficult to learn by other languages because we don't have all those different distinctions between something we if something if a person is male or female that's pretty much the only time we really distinguish it, the problem is the problem of English is that it's it's simplified in many ways but on the other hand because it's lots of hacked together other languages it has no consistency yes mm. it, it, it's a very hacky it's a language bodge. it's a bodge but it's a bodge that uh, the thing with English is the words have been picked because they're pretty and also there is no language board other countries have language boards so France has like a language committee who sit down and say this is going to be what the word for this is yes there's that. and I think Welsh has that as well Welsh has that because they had that issue with the ping oven so so Welsh and, uh, so microwave in Welsh is officially not the ping oven no but everyone everyone that we know who speaks Welsh calls the microwave the ping oven and basically the official uh, the Welsh language board was like that's silly don't don't call it that and they're like well why why shouldn't we that's our, that's our common usage we're not going to call it microwave yeah there's this distinction between prescriptive and descriptive the prescriptive is the French l'academy the uh, Italians have one presumably you know as you say the Welsh have one the English equivalent is the Oxford English Dictionary. Uh, the, the Welsh for microwave is microdon, oh, and my pronunciation will be rubbish. Uh, M-E-I-C-R-O-D-O-N. Thank you, Google. <laughs> but yeah, ping oven is so cool, isn't that? But yeah, so the English equivalent is the Oxford English Dictionary, which says, this is how words are used, therefore this is how we produce the dictionary to reflect that. I love the fact that you can be an agent of the Oxford English Dictionary. <laughs> you wander around listening to language usage, and then I think, I think the, the thing with the English language is they observe the English language and then make it official rather than making an official word then which is why the meaning of lift doesn't work because we don't use any of the words of the meaning of lift it does have that disadvantage yeah but it's supposed to be a joke anyway so because that's not how the English language works shall we leave let's do it Fortune, and for the rest of the day, I shall be unconscious. I've been Ross O'Brien, and that sounds like fun. The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab Radio International and Starburst Magazine, presented by Ed Fortune and Ross O'Brien, produced by Anne Davis. <laughs>